This episode, we talk about the spike in violence across the country and some of the forces driving it. We also talk about how important it is for Americans to make the right choices in the direction we want our country to move in. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Over the last several weeks, we have seen a pretty significant increase in crime in major cities across the country. In Los Angeles, for example, over the dates of June 19th through July 5th, we saw 19 homicides compared to nine last year. In New York, the shootings for last weekend were up 277% compared to the same weekend last year. Chicago is seeing its biggest murder rate in nearly 20 years, and there are crime increases increases in other cities across the country as well, cities such as Rochester, New York, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Las Vegas, and Milwaukee. They are all seeing a massive spike in crime. The politicians who run those cities, the mayors, and even some of the governors of those states are blaming pretty much everything that they can think of except for the truth. They are blaming Trump. They are blaming systemic racism. They are blaming the coronavirus pandemic. And we even saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blaming people shoplifting bread on the spike in crime. So her theory was that the increase in crime is just due to people shoplifting bread because they can't afford to feed their families. She did not offer any explanation as to what that has to do with children across the country being shot to death. The truth is, is that this increase in crime is coming from three specific sources, and they are all kind of culminating into the perfect storm, which is leading us to what we see right now. Those three things are criminal justice reform, the coronavirus situation, and the BLM protests and the subsequent defunding the police movement that has taken root in this country. The criminal justice reform situation is something that has actually been going on for several years at this point, and it's kind of created a baseline for the situation that we are seeing come to a head right now. So I'm going to start off by talking a little bit about the history of criminal justice reform and what has been going on and then talk about how that is leading us to where we are today. So there's this theory in policing and it's called the broken windows theory. The theory of broken windows goes something like this. You have a neighborhood and in this neighborhood, it's a perfectly nice middle-class neighborhood. And one day the citizens wake up and there's a car that has a broken window. And the theory is, is that if the person who owns that car gets that window fixed in a timely manner, then everything goes on normally and life goes back to normal. But if the person who owns that car does not fix the window in a timely manner, then in a very short period of time, the rest of that car is going to be dismantled and torn apart with parts stolen. And soon after, you are going to start seeing other cars in the neighborhood with broken windows. The idea is, is that over time, as we start seeing more broken windows and more torn apart cars in these neighborhoods, the crime increases dramatically. Then you start to see houses with broken windows. You start to see home invasion robberies and violent attacks on the citizens who live in that neighborhood. The idea behind broken windows theory is that if policing focuses on ending the small crimes, on stopping the small crimes. It will prevent the situation from spiraling out of control and culminating in larger and more violent crimes. The whole theory of criminal justice reform basically is the complete opposite of the broken windows theory. 
The ideas behind criminal justice reform are that we actually need to stop imprisoning people for minor offenses. We need to let people out of jail if they commit so-called nonviolent offenses, if they are in jail, for example, for drug possession charges or even selling drugs, um, if they're in jail for property crimes, if they're in jail for things, even things such as illegal possession of a firearm, unless they actually use that firearm to commit an act of violence, just possessing a firearm illegally is not considered a serious crime for those who are seeking criminal justice reform. Here in California, the state that I live in, we have seen a lot of different propositions on our ballot that have been unfortunately approved by the voters over the last several years that deal with criminal justice reform and getting people out of jail. What is considered minor crimes and nonviolent crimes in this state has become completely absurd. So it started with Proposition 47, which passed a few years back and basically made certain crimes misdemeanors instead of felonies. So, for example, property crimes such as breaking into vehicles, stealing vehicles, breaking into homes, those were considered more low-level misdemeanor crimes. And the people who committed those crimes were released from prison much sooner than they originally were supposed to be. What we saw is after that proposition passed, we did see a pretty dramatic increase in property crimes across the state. Fast forward a few years, and then we end up with Proposition 57. So Proposition 57 here in California not only expanded on who was able to get out of jail sooner, but basically what it did was it said that anybody who was convicted of a nonviolent crime was eligible for early parole. The problem with Proposition 57 is that it did not clearly define what was considered a nonviolent offense. And so what the people of this state were left with was nothing to refer to except for Penal Code 667.5. That penal code defines violent felonies in the state of California. And under that list of violent felonies, we see things like murder, attempted murder, voluntary manslaughter, rape, robbery, arson, kidnapping, carjacking, those kinds of things, certain gang offenses. Those are all considered violent felonies. But the problem is, is that there are some pretty serious crimes that people commit that are now considered non-violent felonies, such as domestic violence, solicitation to commit murder, battery with serious bodily injury, human trafficking involving a minor, hate crimes, arson of forest land, assault with a deadly weapon on a peace officer, and active participation in a street gang are just some examples of non-violent felonies according to the penal code. These are crimes where people are eligible to get out of jail sooner or get paroled sooner. There are so many more details that I can go into in what these propositions uh, changed in the state of California. But basically, what it all comes down to is this idea that people should not be sitting in jail for anything other than extraordinarily violent, serious crimes. The idea behind criminal justice reform, according to the people who are pushing it, is that what we need to focus on is we need to focus on rehabilitation. We need to focus on, you know, if somebody's in jail, for example, on a drug possession charge, we need to focus on getting that person re rehab. We need to rehabilitate them so that they can get out of jail and get back to their life and become productive, wonderful members of society again. And while I am not opposed at all to the idea of trying to rehabilitate as many people as possible, give people second chances so that they can get back to having some sort of a good and productive life, the reality is, is that there are a lot of really bad actors, really violent criminals 
who are being released onto our streets due to a lot of these criminal justice reform measures. One example of something that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about here is the the charge of possessing an illegal firearm. Under Proposition 57, possessing an illegal firearm is not considered a serious offense at this point. What happens is, is that people who are arrested for possession of an illegal firearm are arrested, they're brought to jail, they're given a court date, and then they are released. But the, here is the problem, is that if you have somebody who is out there with an illegal firearm, what do we think that person is going to do? The idea that they're not up to any trouble, the idea that they are just, you know, oh, I'm just carrying this for my own protection when they are in some cases, you know, a convicted felon or when they are a known gang member is just laughable. And what's happening, though, is that that person is getting put back onto the street because they did not use that firearm in a crime. We are not able to actually get that person off of the street and put in jail for any significant amount of time unless and until they actually use that firearm in committing a violent crime. So what we are doing is we are taking, we are doing the complete opposite of the broken windows theory. What we are doing is we are letting people out of prison. We are letting people out of jail and we are letting people freely roam our streets who are guilty of pretty serious and significant crimes. And it is not until that person commits a violent and heinous crime that we are putting them behind bars for any serious amount of time. Fast forward to 2020, and we are looking at the coronavirus pandemic, and what we see across the country are situations in which states are letting a lot of criminals out of jail early. Now, they are letting a lot of people out of jail early in order to help slow the spread of coronavirus in these prisons and in these jails across the country. And one of the things that I find interesting even putting aside the idea that, you know, why don't we just put masks on these prisoners if wearing a mask works so well to prevent spreading coronavirus, but that is another story. Instead, what we're doing is we're letting them out. Now, it's important to note, just to be completely honest in this conversation, that the people who are being let out in most cases are people who are at the end of their sentence. They are towards the end of their term. They maybe are being let out a month or two early. And so they're just trying to lower the number in the prisons to stop the spread of the disease in the prisons. But the reality is, is that a lot of people who are being let out of prison early are committing offenses and are being arrested again. In Orange County, California, we are seeing Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer issuing a warning to the community about seven high-risk sex offenders released from jail before serving their full sentences because of the coronavirus pandemic. So we are absolutely seeing very dangerous people being released onto the streets in order to slow the spread of coronavirus in the prisons. And on the other side of that, we are also seeing police departments across the country, maybe not so much now, but especially towards the height of the pandemic, who were given orders and were given directions to not bring people into the prisons unless they committed a pretty serious and heinous and violent offense because they did not want people brought into the system, especially during the time where the courts were closed and they would not be able to properly process these people. So during the coronavirus pandemic, we are seeing, again, in just the general criminal justice reform movement, We are seeing people who are supposed to be in prison, who should be in prison, let out to roam freely into the streets. 
then we are seeing the BLM protests and the movement that comes from the BLM protests to defund and in some cases even dismantle police departments and certain units of the police departments across the country. The Los Angeles Police Department has defunded their department by $150 million. NYPD in New York has defunded $1 billion, taken $1 billion away from their police department and has completely disbanded their undercover crime unit. Some of the other cities across the country who have had officials propose or pledge to reduce police resources include Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, San Diego, Austin and Dallas, Texas, Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. So this is a movement that is absolutely gaining steam across the country, and it is being supported by mainstream Democratic figures. The move to defund police departments, which absolutely results in less police officers on the streets, which leads to less resources to fight crime across the country. This is something that is supported not just by radical figures. This is something that is supported not just by the mob who are out on the streets, you know, protesting and in some cases rioting. This is supported by mainstream Democratic politicians who are moving to have this done across their cities and across their states. According to an article by National Review, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who is an African-American who lives in Brooklyn, New York, and who is one of the voices calling for action on gun violence, criticized the fact that the NYPD dismantled their undercover crime unit. And basically what he said is, he said, quote, I think that a total elimination is something we need to reevaluate. Right now, bad guys are saying, if you don't see a blue and white, you can do whatever you want, end quote. And what basically he's talking about is the fact that we are seeing criminals across this country feel emboldened. We are seeing them feel emboldened because of all of these things that they are seeing. They see the fact that in criminal justice reform, we are lowering and reducing the prison sentences and the consequences and the penalties for criminal behavior. They see that they are taking cops off of the streets as we simultaneously see an increase in crime. Instead, the police further enforce the laws of their cities and of their states. And they are seeing that police officers across the country are demoralized. That is a big part of what we are taking a look at right now. It is not a secret that police officers across the country are feeling demoralized. We are taking a look at things like the Ferguson effect, which is named for Ferguson, Missouri, and the events that happened there where police officers are basically pulling back on actively enforcing the laws of their areas. They are pulling back on, you know, taking a real hard stance on policing and basically are just showing up to situations after crimes have already been committed to take care of the situation. But they are not encouraged and they are not motivated to go above and beyond to keep cities safe and prevent the big and more serious crimes from happening. Police officers have been having to endure a constant barrage of attacks from progressive and democratic mayors and politicians across this country who have called them racist, who have called them murderers, and who have basically said that police in this country are out of control and are not doing what they need to be doing in order to protect our communities. We are seeing situations like the Rayshard Brooks case out of Atlanta, where a police officer was basically beat up by a suspect. That suspect proceeded to steal his taser and fired his taser at him. And when the officer in that case shot the suspect, shot Rayshard Brooks in 
self-defense because he was firing his taser at him, he has now been charged with murder and is potentially facing the death penalty. Police officers are human beings and they are not going to engage in activity. They are not going to take those steps to go above and beyond if they end up finding themselves in a situation that goes south and end up having their faces plastered on the seven o'clock news and having their lives torn upside down and the lives of their families torn upside down because they are in jail facing a murder charge because they acted in self-defense. These are real consequences to what we are seeing and the directions that our democratic leaders across this country are taking us in. There are consequences to this behavior. The message that we are sending to criminals right now is that there are less cops on the street to enforce the law, there are lower punishments to breaking the law, and if things go south, the media and the politicians and those people who I always talk about as those having the power of the narrative in this country will be on your side. They will be on the side of the suspect, they will be on the side of the criminal, and they will always, always take the side against the police officer in that case. We are being told by our leadership, and again, by those who push the narrative, that none of this is the reason for the violent crime increases that we are seeing in the, across the country right now. The same way that they are gaslighting us or that they were gaslighting us by telling us that the BLM protests, which resulted in thousands of people out on the streets for weeks and weeks at a time, that those were not to blame in any way for the spike and increase in coronavirus cases. These are the same people who are gaslighting us right now by telling us that the defunding of the police departments, that the demoralization of police officers across this country, that criminal justice reform and all of these policies which are allowing bad guys, bad actors, criminals, career violent criminals to roam our streets untouched. None of this is to blame for the increase in crime that we are seeing across the country. It is gaslighting and it is ridiculous. These people are not hiding what they want. I think this is probably, for me to look around and see, it's probably one of the most frustrating aspects of this situation right now is that none of these people are being silent. None of them are being subtle about the direction that they want this country to go in. There was an interview given to Fox News by the organizer of the Black Lives Matter group in Philadelphia. Um, her name is which I will probably not pronounce correctly, but it's Yane Ndego. She gives this interview with Fox News where she clearly states what it is that she and her organization are looking for. This is a direct quote from her. Quote, one of the things that we are demanding over five years is the complete abolition. We don't want to see any police in our community. Over the course of those five years, it gives time for the community to begin to build what is needed. We aren't looking to leave any kind of vacancy around the issue of safety. End quote. Does that sound confusing to you? Does that sound like she is not really sure about calling for the abolition of police? It's pretty clear to me. She does not want to see police officers in the city of Philadelphia. That is their goal. That is what they are calling for. She goes on to say, she talks about a little bit more in depth about what it is that she's looking for. She says, quote, there are plenty of people who have been murdered as a result of mental health checks. The police came and then they murdered the person, even though the person was acting erratically, which is what you would expect of a person who's having a mental health crisis, end quote. This is presenting this in a way that is so intellectually dishonest. She's presenting it in a way to suggest that when police officers respond to calls of a person having a mental health crisis, 
that they just show up and shoot the person that they just show up and they say, okay, this person's going crazy. Boom, shoot them dead. Okay, problem solved. That is not what is happening. If police officers respond to a situation of a mental health check and they end up shooting and killing the person, it is because that person has demonstrated a threat to the safety or the lives of either the officers or some other innocent person around them. What these people want is they want social workers. They want unarmed social workers or psychiatrists or psychologists to be the ones to respond to these situations. And what happens when that person who is having a mental health crisis decides that they're going to behave in a way that is going to put innocent people in danger, whether it is their family members or friends, that social worker, their neighbors, what happens? Too bad. Too bad. They're, everyone, I guess, is just going to have to just get over it because if you want physical protection from somebody who is threatening you in a violent manner, regardless of their mental health situation, well, that is just an example of your privilege and you need to check that. She goes on to say, quote, domestic confrontations are also things that police are often called for. And these are kinds of situations that can be handled by different kinds of professionals. As it relates to more violent crime, there would still be trained individuals who are prepared to handle those kinds of situations. End quote. Who are those trained individuals that are prepared to handle more violent crime situations? Maybe, I don't know, police officers? Who are they? She does not specify. She is calling for the abolition of police, but she does not specify who it is and what they are going to do when facing a more violent crime. Fun fact, okay, domestic violence situations are some of the most dangerous situations that police officers walk into. Police officers in this country are killed in domestic violence calls very often. That is one of the leading causes of cops getting killed are responding to those types of calls. And these people think, oh, you know what? We'll just send a social worker. The implication here is that if we just take police out of these violent situations, then those violent situations will just not be violent. That is the suggestion that these people are making. And that is as ridiculous as saying that if we just eliminate doctors and hospitals across the country, then people will stop getting sick and dying. It is that ridiculous. Okay, police who are responding to these calls are not causing the violence. They are responding to it. And the idea that if we just take police officers away from these situations, that the violence and the, the threats to innocent people that these situations pose are just going to disappear is absolutely ridiculous. You know who is going to win in these situations if women like this and people like this get their way? The police officers, because they are going to be the ones who are not going to have to deal with these situations. You know who's going to lose? Everyone else all the rest of us are going to lose. She goes on to say, quote, quite often, if there is violence happening, by the time the police arrive, that has already occurred, and particularly in poor neighborhoods and in black and brown communities. So the police are not really a resource for preventing that kind of crime from happening, just a response, end quote. No, that is what it will look like if people like this get their way. That is what it will look like if the people pushing criminal justice reform in this country get their way. You will have situations in which, yep, the cops show up after the violence happens, not before. You will have situations in which everyday average American citizens who are living in their homes in decent neighborhoods, whether it's middle class, whether it's upper class, who are living in fairly safe neighborhoods, we are going to be in a situation where we are going to have violence happening on our streets because the police departments across the country are having their hands tied and they are not finding themselves in a situation where they are able to engage in the active policing that prevents the violent crime from happening across the country. And instead, they are going to become nothing but a response to violent crime. So how does that make us feel? How should we as Americans take a look at that? 
Okay, that's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, if you if somebody breaks into your house and shoots and kills you, it's great. Yeah, the cops will show up and they'll be able to take care of the situation. Or do we want to live in a country where the people who are going to break into your house and shoot and kill you are in jail because a police officer discovered them with an illegal firearm and were able to get them off of the streets due to that charge instead of waiting for them to actually murder an innocent person before putting them away in prison? That is the choice that we as Americans are faced with right now. The city of Berkeley wants to have police officers no longer conduct traffic stops. They want non-armed citizens to enforce the traffic laws in the city. You know what the other most dangerous situation is for police officers? Traffic stops. Seriously, traffic stops and domestic violence are two of the most dangerous situations for cops across the country where police officers are most often killed. And these people want to take police out of the equation and put unarmed citizens in those situations. Another thing to take a look at. All right. Again, these people are not hiding. They are not hiding the direction they want us to go in. Congresswomen Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, two members of the so-called progressive squad that have been touted regularly as the future of the Democratic Party, have introduced a bill to the House called the Breathe Act. And I'm just going to list off a couple of, of really interesting things that this act is proposing for the future of our country. Okay, so number one, they want to defund police across the country. Yes, this is similar to what we have heard before, but you know what? Right now, it is based on cities defunding their police. So the city that I live in, which is not run by a crazy Democratic politician, is not moving in the direction of defunding our police department, something that I am extremely grateful for. If you live in San Francisco, well, that's who you voted for. And so that's the direction you can go in. But according to this bill, they want to take that out of the hands of individual cities and they want to do it across the nation. They want to defund police across the country. They want to defund ICE, which is the Border Patrol and Immigration. And and decriminalize illegal border crossings. Yes, they want to decriminalize illegal border crossings, which means that anybody any from anywhere can come across our border into our country anytime they want. Yes, you will have people who are decent people who are just trying to escape poverty and some of these really, you know, high crime countries that they live in who are just seeking a better life trying to come across our border. You know who else you're going to have come across our border? Gang members. Gang members, drug cartels, and people who are engaged in human trafficking. Those are the people that are going to come across our borders. And according to Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, they want that to be legal. They want to eliminate ankle monitors. So going back to what I had mentioned before about Orange County, where during the coronavirus pandemic, they released seven high-risk sex offenders from jail. And the Orange County District Attorney was issuing a warning to the public for it. One, one of the reasons why these particular sex offenders were released is because they were in jail for violating their probation. And they violated their probation because they were evading the electronic law enforcement monitoring. They were messing with their ankle monitors. These are the people who we have ankle monitors on. It is sex offenders. It is child molesters. And Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib want to not monitor those people anymore. They want to not have to have them wear ankle monitors anymore. They want to close down detention centers and jails, and they want to eliminate gang databases. Eliminate gang databases so that our police officers have their hands tied even more when it comes to tracking criminals, tracking known gang members before they commit the violent crimes. Nope, they don't want them to have the ability to do that. These are the same people 
let's keep this in mind for a minute. The same people who want to eliminate police officers from this country, the same people who want to eliminate border patrol and decriminalize illegal border crossings to allow anyone and everyone over the border into our country, the same people who don't want jails or detention centers, these are the same people who don't want law-abiding Americans to be able to practice their Second Amendment rights. These are the same people who want to have strict and aggressive gun control laws, which include confiscation of weapons, who want law-abiding Americans to not have the ability to protect themselves. You listen to all of these things and you cannot help but wonder, whose side are these people on? Whose side are they on? Do they actually want this country to be a safe place for citizens to live in, regardless of what race you are, regardless of your socioeconomic level or your gender or your religion, do they want us all to live in a safe country or or not? Because to me, it sounds like they want the criminals to have full reign and they don't want anybody to have the ability to protect ourselves. We can't have police officers to call, but we also cannot protect ourselves in our own homes by our own weapons. All of this really is the logical conclusion of social justice. So I talked about this in one of my first episodes, the difference between social justice and actual justice. And all of this is the logical conclusion of social justice. When you take the social justice movement all the way to the end, to its logical conclusion, this is what you end up with. You end up with a bunch of people in power who believe that every person who is in jail is not in jail because of their actions. They are in jail because of systemic racism or because of the patriarchy or because of oppression or all of these other things. And so it's because the systems in this country are evil. It is because the police are evil and the government is evil and everybody is evil except for the people who are actually committing the crimes. And so we have to let all of those people out of jail because they're not really responsible for their own actions. Society is responsible for their actions. And so society has to suffer the consequences of high crime rates, of murders of children across the country the way that we have seen over the last several weeks because this is what social justice brings us. Crime is on the rise and children are getting killed every single weekend in this country right now. We also have situations where, for example, we have homelessness plaguing our streets, okay? And their solution, the solution that these people have to this problem is to legalize it. Legalize homelessness, legalize sleeping on the streets, legalize defecating and urinating on the streets. And this is what we are seeing in our big cities across the country. It always makes me laugh when I see these politicians kind of you know, shrug their shoulders and say, oh my goodness, I don't know why. I don't know why we are having such a high rate of homelessness right now. And I, we don't really know what to do about it. The reason why we're having such high rates of homelessness is because the idea is, is that we cannot put people in jail for minor offenses. And so a lot of those people are living on the streets, but also we cannot institutionalize anybody against their will. We cannot force people into rehabilitation centers. We cannot force people into mental health hospitals. And the reality is, is that the vast majority of people in this country who are homeless are suffering with drug addiction and suffering with mental illness. But according to these leaders, according to these you know, social justice warriors and these criminal justice reformers, the compassionate thing to do is to let these people live on the streets. I disagree. I do not think it is compassionate to allow people to live in their own filth and to live in their own disease, you know, diseases and have all of these horrible living conditions. Okay, because we can't take action to clear our streets of people who are homeless, people who are committing crimes. No, instead, we all just have to just have to deal with it. Look around. If you are a regular 
average American citizen, just look around your cities. If you're in the suburbs or if you're, you know, out in more of the rural areas, obviously you're not having to face this. But if you live in any of these big cities across the country, I mean, you don't have to take my word for any of this. You can look around with your own eyes and see what is happening. I used to be able to take my daughter to plays at the Pantages in Los Angeles and to you know, hockey games at Staples Center in Los Angeles. And over the last couple of years, it has become increasingly difficult to do that because number one, I'm worried about crime. And number two, we can't even walk from our car to those venues without seeing more and more homeless people and seeing them engaging in questionable activity, drug use and other disturbing things. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it. We are told, no, it is cruel to do anything about it. We have to just let them we just we have to just let them live on the streets. We have to allow this stuff to happen. People in this country need to wake up. We need to wake up and we need to look around us and see the things that are happening in our nation, see the crime rates rising and understand that no, it is not because of Donald Trump, okay? That because here's the thing, if the president is so powerful, if he is the one who is causing all of these problems, then why do we even have mayors? Why do we even have governors, okay? We have mayors and we have governors to address these problems and they are failing and they are failing miserably. Okay. These policies to defund police, to take police off the streets. We don't have to wait five years. We don't have to wait two years. We don't even have to wait a year to see the consequences of these policies. We are seeing the consequences in real time. We are seeing children across the country being gunned down while they're sitting in their parents' laps, while they're sitting in their living rooms, while they're sitting in the back of their mom and dad's cars. We are seeing them being murdered. This is happening right now. Now, and all of these people who are telling us, oh, no, it's not because of these policies. They are lying to you. And it is really time and beyond time for Americans to wake up and decide what we want our country to look like. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to jj at imjustanamerican.com. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about crime and policing in America. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of Just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty.